superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Story time. This is The Rich Eisen Show with guest host Ryan Leaf. When the news broke that he was inducted and he said, I'm not going to Canton. T.O., don't do this, man. Somehow it must have gotten back to him. And I'm still on parole at the time. The Rich Eisen Show. T.O. comes to me. Keep my name out, yo. I'm going to have to fight T.O. in the parking lot of the Del Mar Country Club. <laughs> Earlier on the show, Baylor head coach Dave Aranda. Browns beat writer for the Cleveland Plain dealer Mary Kay Cabot. Coming up, Go Long founder Tyler Dunn. Plus, senior writer for GolfChannel.com, Rex Hogger. And now, sitting in for Rich, it's Ryan Lee. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rich Eisen Show. Ryan Leaf here filling in for Rich alongside TJ Jefferson, Michael Del Tufo on the Yo. ones and twos, and Mr. Chris Brockman. Hey, Ryan. Father of Cage Brockman. Correct. Yeah. Yes, yes. Father's galore. Another monster. <laughs> we, we talk about uh, the monster that is MacGyver Leaf. You know, we also have a, another monster in Cage Brockman. I can tell. I can tell you. I mean, the names Cage and MacGyver. I mean, you just know they're, they're going to run the world. <laughs> they're going to get in some crap. Right? Yeah, bruises, biting people. I don't. <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> All right. Speaking <laughs> of speaking of biting people, I think a lot of people who were Bills fans last year watched how the last thirteen seconds of that game went would like to bite somebody uh next here on the line a good friend of mine um go long um founder and go long um check it out mr tyler dunn how we doing ty how's how things going ryan what's up man great to hear your voice how have you been I, i'm good i'm good we're having a good time here i get to get to sit in this chair for a few days and especially during a time when football is is, is on the on the run here on the rise um one of the bigger questions I had um, about this Buffalo Bills team, and I know you cover all of the NFL, but in particular with the Bills, wh- how it was addressed a year ago, right? I mean, I think people him and Hod around the decision-making by the coaching staff, and it really showed the pressure and stress they were under in that moment and some of the decision-making that went into it to lose that game to how they were going to address it. How have they addressed it inside that locker room? Because they really haven't talked about it publicly, but it had to be addressed at some point. Otherwise, they were going to be in just this limbo uh, heading into this next season. You just nailed it. it. It remains to be seen how they respond to it. And I think, you know, there's three ways to look at it. Number one, I think that the fans, the hardworking you know, people here of Western New York deserve some type of explanation for one of the biggest meltdowns in sports history. 
Um, and then, you know, us in the media, we're, we're always trying to know what in the heck went down. But that, that third group, the, the players themselves, the coaches themselves, the employees of the Buffalo Bills internally, the 48 hours after that game and, and talking to players and coaches and people in and around the team, they didn't really know either. <laughs> they were stunned. Um, we're talking starters, backups, coaches. Uh, it surprised them that the season ended so abruptly. And look, part of it is the way an NFL season ends. You're not going to all reconvene in the film room the next day and, and break down, you know, what went right, what went wrong. You, you clean up your locker and you're out of there. But it still was really strange. I mean, that, that's kind of the word they just kept coming up. It was weird. It was strange. It was odd that uh, it just kind of ended and people just kind of went about their merry way. And yeah, you know, Sean McDermott, he stuck to his line. I mean, he stuck to execution in his press conference after the game. He stuck to execution uh, at his final press conference and just kind of chose to not really get into any details. That's kind of par for the course for him as the head coach. So that's his prerogative. I mean, you, I mean, you played in the NFL, Ryan, and, and now you cover the league and cover the game. But you hear that word, usually it means player error. It's It's the coaches putting it on the players that, Hey, they, they weren't able to execute, but I guess it's broad enough that you can kind of just skate by and, and not really explain what happened. Yeah, it's it's been interesting, and I, I've been really interested to see how they respond and handle it. Shirley Camp looks like it's going full full go. Josh Allen, everybody, uh, everybody seems healthy and, and energized. They are, I think, the reigning favorite in Las Vegas to win the Super Bowl this year. Uh, they are one of my favorites. Um, one of the bigger questions, what does this team look like? post Brian Dable, right? He moves on to the New York Jets. The best thing I think that I thought they did is they stayed in-house, right? They Ken Dorsey gets elevated to offensive coordinator. He's been Josh Allen's quarterback coach for the last few years. Uh, he is going to make the offense his own, but I think that's probably a, a really good sign for Bills fans out there that we're going to see a lot of the same uh, exciting offense with the Bills with Ken Dorsey at the helm. Yeah, that's what they're hoping, that it's just seamless and that they're going to keep a lot of this basically all the same terminology and the same plan of attack uh, moving to Ken Dorsey. And it's, it's a fun offense. I mean, you've got an MVP front runner in Josh Allen, and I think that's part of the frustration, right, how that last season ended. You had a quarterback who was just feeling it. I mean, I don't really know what team, what defense, what scheme would have stopped Josh Allen last season the way he was playing. So, um, you know, you hope he picks up where he left off, and I think that Isaiah McKenzie in the slot is going to be playing a huge role. Um, he, he's always kind of been there. They just haven't really used him. So he steps into that role that Cole Beasley is playing before. I think Gabe Davis is a, is a rising star that, that could become a full-fledged star very, very soon. And Devon Diggs is always going to demand attention. So I think where it gets interesting, though, you know, there was some, some friction between uh, McDermott and Dayball toward the end of last season on how much to run the ball, kind of like you know that, that, that balance between run and pass. And uh, what happens this year, you know, with Ken Dorsey? Does he – kind of give in to wanting to run the ball more and have a little bit more balance or what, what I think you should do when you have Josh Allen, you keep your foot just slammed against that gas pedal and you just let him do his thing, running the ball, throwing the ball and, and, and just go that route. So nothing really matters right now for the bills in August. Nothing matters in September, October, November. I mean, this is a team that is in major Super Bowl or bust mode and, I mean that in all the best reasons. When was the last time a Bills team was in Super Bowl or bust mode? I mean, it was, uh, I don't know, me and my friends were probably two, three years old at the time. Yeah, it was Jim Kelly's run, and it was Thurman Thomas's run when they were going to four consecutive Super Bowls, yeah. really, right? Yeah. I mean, that was 
that was the place. Uh, what do you think? Do you, do you think that inside that facility they like they like because of how people are perceiving them to be this year? They like that, or is this something uh, that this team having that moniker on them as Super Bowl or bust, uh, you know, may not be able to handle the pressure? You know, it's, it, that, that's where the psychology of the team gets so interesting because I think they got to this point by really leaning into that underdog role. I mean, you're talking 17 years without this team even making the playoffs, the four Super Bowl losses before that. You know, you sprinkle in a little Music City Miracle. You sprinkle in a little Rob Johnson, Doug Flutie quarterback controversy. It's, it's been, you know, taking dark turn after dark turn. And so Sean McDermott comes in. And they fumigate the building. They they put in, you know, their culture, their way of doing things. Everything is so detail oriented. Where you know, it's down to a T if it's May seventeenth, let alone October or November. So I, all that stuff is good. But you're not the underdog anymore. I mean, you're the favorite. You know, you, you've got the target on your back. You've got the MVP favorite. You have all these weapons. You signed Von Miller. It, it it is. You know, anything anything less than the Super Bowl probably is a disappointment in a loaded AFC. I think they'll handle it well. You know, even though last season ended so abruptly and the head coach really didn't take accountability in the moment, privately or publicly, I think that every year genuinely is a new year. They lost some players. They added some players. And it, it, this does seem like a team in a really good headspace overall. And, and you can be in a really good headspace when you have the quarterback you do. I mean, he can make a lot of problems disappear as long as Josh Allen is out there. Uh, they they should be the Super Bowl favorite, absolutely. Moving around the NFL a little bit, right? Uh, the Cincinnati. We were just talking about the uh, AFC North and and how interesting it is, uh, especially with the Deshaun Watson news that's going to come down in a few days in Cleveland. But you know, Cincinnati for for an off season where they played in a Super Bowl and were really uh, a couple plays away from possibly being champions. Um, there really hasn't been much talked about this Bengals team, and I and I and I feel like. That's a good thing. When, when it's kind of quiet and guys are just going about their business, um, when big splashes are made, I think people may be trying too hard. What, what's been your takeaway from this Bengals team and what the offensive uh, offseason has presented for them heading into year three under Joe Burrow? I, I totally agree with you. It, it stuns me that we're not talking about this team and this quarterback more. I mean, probably a lot of it is the fact that Joe Burrow – just had the epidectomy, and and part of it is history. The last three decades, I believe, or close to three decades, only one Super Bowl loser was able to get back to the game the next year, and that was the Patriots with Tom Brady. So you just don't see it. I mean, the Super Bowl hangover is a very, very real thing. But I think it's different here because this is a team that didn't expect anything last year. I mean, they didn't. They weren't. They weren't thinking playoffs. They're not thinking Super Bowl. They're they're just hoping to be relevant, and they're they're kind of signing cast off players right like like mike hilton and uh eli apple and they're just hoping for the best and as it turns out joe burrow is a star um every young quarterback seems to be skittish and unsure of themselves and afraid of getting hit and, and not really sure how they're processing defenses well joe burrow from day one he's processing like he's been in the league for a decade so you have that you have the rapport with jamar chase i mean they're, they're making plays out there like they're a couple of veterans uh Got that 49ers play, right, where Jamar Chase is running running one direction in the end zone, back line, and Burrow throws it the other direction, and just they both know he's got to get to that pylon. That kind of stuff 
is rare. I, I think that this is a team that can get back to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl because they've, they've got all the ingredients. Um, they're flying under the radar, and that's a gnarly secondary, man. I spent some time with those DBs last week in Cincinnati, and out, out of any defense in the AFC, I think that group is, is most equipped to uh, you know have a puncher's chance in, in these shootouts. The news uh, around Mekhi Becton uh, a couple days ago, um, I, I think his has been more devastating than I than I I I think I would have assumed they they thought that he was going to be a big part of that anchored offensive line for Zach Wilson in year two. How do you think they uh, address that issue uh, and and move forward this season? That's a huge blow. I mean, what what an off season for Beckton to go from being out of shape and 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 boy, he caught a lot of flack, a lot of criticism, a lot of it justified, and and seemed to get himself to a really good spot for training camp and was really busting butt. I mean, this is the kind of player that I think Robert Salo, like that, that's exactly what he's looking for, right? To turn that franchise around is, you know, here's a guy with a ton of talent, uh, a, a big lineman that you want to run behind, that you want to protect your quarterback, and he turns it around, he buys into what you're building, and, and then this happens. I, it, it's heartbreaking for him, and it's a huge blow to the team. And I, I, I think big picture, though, I think the Jets are heading in the right direction. Like, I don't think this is a team that's going to be making the playoffs or competing for Super Bowls anytime soon, but you just hear Robert Sala talk at the press conference that he had out of that injury, and you can see why guys want to play for him. It's real. It's authentic. It's it's passionate. It's not fake. You know, he's not standing there and and just reading off a teleprompter like so many head coaches do. I mean, they're so robotic in that setting. I mean, you you could just see the, the passion out of this guy, and and that stuff matters. I mean, football isn't played on a spreadsheet. It's an emotional game, and, and you've got to somehow squeeze every ounce of potential and maximize the potential out of your guys. Uh, I think that Robert Sala did it in San Francisco as a defensive coordinator, and he's going to do it there with the Jets because Joe Douglas also had himself uh, one hell of a draft. He, they, they might have found four starters in this past draft. The Jets are going the right direction. All right, so Tyler Dunn, uh, Go Long founder. You can Catch him at golongtd.com. Joining us now, NFL writer. Um, all right, so we all know who the probable favorites are, what people are thinking and stuff like that. Is there a team, a la the Cincinnati Bengals, who don't make the playoffs, not even close to the year before, is there a team out there this year that you've uh, watched and seen an improvement with um, get to a place where they could surprise uh, and be a playoff contender uh, come playoff time? Right, we we shouldn't take this hook, line, and sinker because we've we've done it before. I know it. The Miami Dolphins, <laughs> they go out and they pay a Mike Wallace, they pay an Adamican Sue, they uh, well, go back to Dante Culpepper. I mean, since Dan Marino retired, basically in '99, I think they made the playoffs next year, but they haven't won a playoff game since then. It's it's been it's been a long long time and. Um, you know, hey, the no state income tax, the weather, the, the opportunities down there, it attracts a lot of free agents. I mean, a lot of really good players have gone there, and it just hasn't worked out. I think it's okay to take the bait this offseason. I really do. I think that there is a, uh, a formula there for the Dolphins between uh, a coach, a play caller, and Mike McDaniel, who is brilliant. I mean, he's going to scheme up all of this talent, all of this speed, in ways that we can't even imagine. I mean, you had the two fastest players in the NFL, Tyree Kill, Raheem Mostert, like literally the fastest next-gen stats, and Chase Edmonds, who was 
unbelievably dynamic with Arizona last year before his ankle injury. And Jalen Waddle, who all he did was go for 100 and 1,000 yards as a rookie. Uh, and an improved offensive line. I know Terran Armstead's been hurt, but if, if he's out there, he's maybe the best tackle in the game. Connor Williams helps. And we're getting to the quarterback. I get it. There's questions about Tua Tungabiola, rightfully so. But he was in basically the worst possible situation before. He's in basically the best possible situation now. I think that Miami absolutely could surprise a lot of people this season and get into the playoffs and maybe even win some games. Wow. Wow. Excited to see. Excited to see how this all plays out. If you're a Dolphins fan, you got to love hearing what Tyler Dunn has to say. Tyler, hey, thanks for taking the time today. It's always good to talk to you. I can't wait to do it again. Appreciate your time. Any day, anytime, Ryan. But thanks so much, and, and love checking it out on the show. All right. Tyler Dunn, everybody. Go long, TD.com. Check out what he has to say. I can't wait to dive into that a little bit later, guys. Miami Dolphins, right? That's the team in the AFC East against your uh, Patriots. Are they the team that's going to leapfrog them this year? Or... Um, or all three teams going to be vie for a that, that, that's going the AFC is brutal. The four teams in the West, yeah. the four teams in the North, the three teams in the East. If people are talking about it, I mean, there's there's just not enough. That's eleven teams for seven spots, right? And then also the the AFC South has to send a division winner, right? So really, there's <laughs> there's not much. The AFC South had the one seed last year. I know, and they're not even we're not even talking not about even talking the Titans. about them. We're yeah. like, oh, the Colts are going to win the division because they have Matt Ryan and, the, and Shaq Leonard's awesome and Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman and the, everyone loves Frank Reich. I'm not even talking about the Titans. Derrick Henry is back, people. I think the thing that we're not talking about most is the player, maybe in this NFL, who's made the greatest just turnaround, especially in far, as far as how he's publicly perceived, and that's Zach Wilson. I mean, like, yeah. I think he might have reached the point where he's ready to lead the Jets to, you know, some great things, Ryan, is all I'm saying. Well, Jets fans certainly hope that. The guy who sits in this chair normally really hopes that, right? (laughs) All right. Uh, When we come back, we're going to dive into the PGA Tour and the Live Tour's ongoing feud. I have a few interesting comments about that with uh, Rex Hoggard from GolfChannel.com. He joins us next here on the Rich Eisen Show. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rich Eisen Show. Ryan Leaf here filling in for Rich. Uh, Our next guest is uh, a writer for GolfChannel.com. We're speaking about the PGA Tour, uh, the FedEx Cup playoffs. It's taken the PGA Tour's very best just to get to this point. Now it'll take more. Everything they've got to win the ultimate prize, 
The FedEx Cup playoffs begins with the FedEx St. Jude Championship Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern on NBC and Peacock. Like I said, our next guest writes for golfchannel.com and is here to talk about all things FedEx playoffs as well as the Live Tour and the ongoing beef now with the PGA Tour. Let's welcome to the show Mr. Rex Hoggard from golfchannel.com. Welcome to the show, Rex. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. You bet. All right, so, of course, the big news uh, surrounding the Live Tour was the uh, the injunction that three players were looking for so they could play in this year's FedEx Club, uh, FedEx uh, playoffs. Yesterday, the ruling came down that said no go. Can you fill us in a little bit more on that info and why uh, you think the judge ruled in the way the judge ruled? I've covered a lot of these cases, especially covering the PGA Tour over the last few years, and most of these hearings are so boring and dry and just filled with legal legal ease where you just kind of get lost in the minutia and the weeds. It, this was a two-hour hearing yesterday, and I was in the courthouse in San Jose, and I was riveted. I mean, I'm a bit of a nerd. I will own that, but it was really fascinating conversation because it, it essentially had taken everything that we had read in all of the filings and the lawsuits and the countersuits and everything and put it on a stage, so to speak. It put emotion behind these words. And I thought that the judge did a very good job of taking a complicated issue and keeping it as simple as possible. And whether or not, if, if you agree with the ruling or not, I think what she looked at in this particular case is, and then this is always going to be the standard when you're trying to get a temporary restraining order, is harm. Can you prove that there would be harm if these players weren't allowed to play in this event? And based on the contract, they were allowed to see, the public wasn't, but the judge and the lawyers were, that these players signed with Liv Goff, they weren't able to prove harm. Yeah, I mean, that was the biggest takeaway that I got to, was that the amount of money that, that was being paid uh, showcased that them missing these tournaments was not going to affect them negatively. Um, this is really interesting. me. Now, I, I understand fully uh, the backing of how this started, of course. You know, the it's backed by Saudi money, and that's the understanding in a lot of ways people look at it. Now, if you choose to look at it that way, I'm all for it. But I, I, I've had a tough time rationalizing why the PGA Tour uh, has become so resentful of it, right? I mean, I know they feel like they're being uh, having some of their best players plucked away because of things like that, but it, it's it's... I haven't quite understood why the PGA Tour has gotten their, their feathers ruffled so much around another competing um, golf tour, right? Something that just uh, it has never existed outside of the PGA Tour and, and for a different option where guys have a chance to make more money. Why has it been so controversial? Has it been because of who's backed it in terms of that? Or has it simply been because some players uh, uh, weren't willing to do it or and, and have been open and honest about how they feel about it? I think it has some to do with who's behind the money behind it. The tour has tried to make this a moral conversation, a moral argument, and that's worked in some circles and it hasn't worked in others. And, you know, I, I leave it kind of up to the individual. We all know Saudi Arabia, and you can make your own choices about what blood money is or, or sports washing or anything else that goes into this. I think the real emotions come from the idea that it's such an irrational threat. Commissioner Jay Monahan talked about this just a few weeks ago, and he said point blank and very bluntly, that if this is a battle that's only being fought with dollar bills, the tour cannot compete, which is astonishing to me because the tour just signed very, very lucrative new TV deals with all of its partners. And for him to sit there and say that we're flush, and yet that's not even enough money 
to compete, I think that's where the emotion comes from. When you realize that you're up against an opponent who can do things that you cannot. If this turns into a bidding war, it's a war the tour is going to lose. Now, I'll also say on the flip side that by and large, that the players in this whole saga have been pretty understanding. Uh, when Dustin Johnson decided to leave and he announced, I think most players said, you know, we're going to miss him. Or we wish he would, wouldn't do it, but, but he can make his own choices. It became very, very personal last week when this lawsuit was filed. And I think you saw a lot of players who are remaining loyal to the PGA Tour suddenly push back because suddenly it wasn't sort of this abstract threat. They weren't suing the tour. They were suing all of the members, and, and that really that landed hard. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. One of the things I had trouble with, um, specifically some of the people who spoke out, and because they're hit such huge names, they got a lot of news, right? You hear Rory McIlroy a ton, and we hear Tiger Woods talk about um, they, they can't understand why um, someone would leave a tour that gave them everything to go somewhere else. Um, I don't know if those two are the best to make the argument simply because both of those individuals have the generational wealth that is being presented to the likes of Dustin Johnson and um, Pat Perez and others that, um, that, that they're stepping towards. I don't know if those guys were the right voices, even though people have wanted to hear from them because of that aspect of things. There's an element to that where absolutely, I mean, we've heard sort of the obscene report that Tiger Woods was offered, I don't know, half a billion dollars or $700 million or whatever number you choose to believe which is an astronomical figure. However, yeah. we're talking about Tiger Woods. To your point, the general generational wealth is there, still there. You can say the same thing for Rory and JT and Jordan Spieth, to a certain example. And the flip side of that that I have argued is, I actually did an interview with a player named Richard Bland. He's an Englishman. He's 49 years old, and it was earlier this year in Texas, and I asked him why. He'd already announced that he was going to live. And he explained very well that he's 49 years old, and in his career, he had made $2.5 million. And he asked me to do the math. Like, all right, I've been playing for 25 years, so you do the math on, on what I've made over the course of my career. Of course I'm going to take this opportunity. That's why I said when this was an abstract threat for the players, I think by and large most of them understood. This right. was about money, and this was about whatever individual challenges you have. You have to take care of your family. You have to pay the mortgage, whatever the case may be. It really didn't become personal until last week because in this – this phrase has gotten weaponized, and I'm not even quite sure what it means, but it's have your cake and eat it, too. Yeah. They don't, the players suddenly have a hard time with that one. You're not going to be able to play both of them, I think is why this sort of degenerated to where we're at right now. Joining us here on the Mercedes-Benz Vans phone line, Rex, Ho, uh, Rex Hogard um, from GolfChannel.com, senior writer. Um, yesterday, there were some rumors and some talk, and it has been going on for a little while, around Cam Smith, right, the British Open champion. Uh, and the possibility of him moving on to the tour as well after the PGA um, FedEx playoffs. What are you hearing about that? And is there is there if there's smoke, is there fire type of scenario with this? Uh, I mean, I think the rumors have been pretty rampant. And what Live Golf has done, and they've been pretty successful in this, is just sort of letting these players bleed out one by one by one, and it's just paper cuts. I mean, they just continue to, to take shots at the tour week in and week out, even in the middle of the playoffs. In this particular case, Cameron Smith has been rumored to be going to live golf even before he won the Open Championship. So I don't think there's any surprise there. I guess the only thing that I can say escalated sort of yesterday and probably a little bit at St. Andrews after he won is, 
instead of doing the things that the other players did, which they didn't admit they were going to live golf, but they said all the keywords, right? Like they had the talking points down. I want to compete against the best players in the world, and I have to do what's best for my family. That was all code for, yes, I'm going to live golf. Instead, Cam Smith has decided to sort of draw a much harder line, and I don't understand it. I understand that you want to play the playoffs and you want to win the playoffs, and I don't think anybody's got a problem with that, but I think he needs to be a little bit more forthright in a lot of people's minds. Yeah, I, you know, transparency is is a fickle thing within individuals who are making a decision that seems very controversial in the eyes of a lot of people. All right, well, let's get into the real deal then. The FedEx playoffs start this week. Um, you know, it's been an, an intriguing PGA Tour season. Uh, you know, we head to the final three. Where where are we at right now? Uh, Scotty Scheffler still at the top of the list. Where 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 are we looking? Uh, as we come down the stretch, Tony Finau, after a couple back to uh, with a back to back win a few weeks ago, where are we at now with the with the playoffs ramping up? I took the red eye from San Jose, where the court hearing was yesterday, to Memphis, uh, and I was I kind of started to try to get back into golf mode because this has been, you know, live golf had been consuming you, and all the things you just pointed out sort of struck me on the plane last night. That it's been a really cool season where Scotty Scheffler has had a career year. Cameron Smith has certainly had a career year. The one that really stands out to me, and and I wish I could have gotten here on time for his uh, press conference, was Rory. Because he's coming off what had to be a heartbreaking finish at the Open Championship, although I don't know how he really went away from that. Because I saw a stat a few weeks ago that said in the, I think it's six players that made the cut in all four major championships this year, Rory was at the top of the heap at a total of 29 under par. The next closest was Cam Smith at 21 under par. By any definition, Rory has had an unbelievable successful season, and yet I think still in his heart of hearts, he's thinking he still has something to prove. And he's won a FedEx Cup. He knows how to do this. So I I would keep my eye on him. And certainly Cam Smith seems motivated for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Exciting times. Um, The... um the switch and change in the order of the majors, right? Moving the PGA championship up. It ends the, the season of golf um, in terms of majors earlier than, than, than what we're used to. And I know this has happened over the last few years, but um, is, is the FedEx cup trying to become that, that, that major that, that, that ultimately gets people excited and back at it later in the year since they've made those types of moves. I think so. Sure. I think when the PGA Championship moved to earlier in the season, and I mean, this was done for a lot of different reasons, primarily to, to try to get out of the shadow that football throws over every sport. So there's no reason for golf to try to compete with football because you're not going, going to win that battle. But in this particular case, I don't know that they're ever going to be considered majors, although I would make the argument that a FedEx Cup championship to beyond the money, I mean, the winner gets $18 million, beyond the money has, has started to reach a level of prestige that's not major-like, but it's the next level down. And I would also argue that if you look at how the playoffs have sort of evolved over the years, it used to be four events, and the, the points were different, and the way they did the tour championship was different. And I, I still don't know if they have the formula, right? Like, I, I'm not smart enough to figure out the math on that. But I would argue that it gets people to pay attention to golf. Our best players are playing during a time of year when they tr- traditionally have not been playing, and they're playing for a significant prize. I think that's a win for the tour. Rex Hoggard, everybody, GolfChannel.com senior writer joining us. Thanks for taking the time, Rex. Really appreciate the info. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Rex Hoggard, everybody, GolfChannel.com senior writer. All right. So, you know, Chris Brockman, you're a golfer. TJ, you've become a golfer, apparently, right? Um, he golfs now. TJ golfs, Ryan. He played a par three, was a par three course two weeks ago? 
Oh, it's not me. The mic's on. Uh, played, got busy, put in work. All right. You know. So hearing this from Rex around, I mean, what has been your guys's thought process around the live tour? Right. I, I don't. I, I understand. Think I think it sucks. Right. You think the live tour sucks? Yeah. Because of why? Everything that we've talked about. It's just the sport washing of a terrible country and a right. terrible regime. It's just trying to be like, throw money at the problem and use the reputations of all these golfers, the uh, soccer players, the Formula One teams, to, to make everyone forget about the terrible things that they've done. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's too bad. But if I was in one of these young kids' shoes and somebody offered me a ton of money to go do something, it would be really hard to say no, though, at the same token, because where else are you going to make that kind of life-changing money? There's an integrity concept to it, right? Yep. What are you willing to do? Um, but the problem is, if we look at anything, you can you kind can, of point your finger. You, you can find back channels to anything. anything. Yeah. Look at the PGA Tour and all their sponsors, where it starts. And There's, if you did a deep dive into something, you're going to find things that aren't necessarily kosher in all this. So Yeah, but you're doing deep, deep dives. Right. You don't have to deep dive you, there's deep at no all here. deep dive that has to be done. It's just flat out simple. And Phil Mickelson said the the quiet thing out loud. Right. That got reported and what sent him on a spiral and and where he's at right now, right? Those are the things, the atrocities, the civil rights violations, the murder, all, all of those things that play into it. And then you have Greg Norman at the helm of it. And I don't know if there's a bigger narcissist then Greg Norman and all this. Like he really, really believes that he is wronged in every aspect of everything. And this is his way of 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 you know lifting the game of golf up. I mean, there's a self-importance to it that makes this an even bigger issue, too. Um I don't if the if the PGA tour were more I, I think they may be afraid to go after them in terms of the the hierarchy or the take the high road uh, um, about what the live tour is because maybe they have some, some things in their closet they don't want a deeper look at. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe. But the way they've gone about it, it seemed very petulant, like a, a child in, in, in their resentment. Because to Rex's point, and I hadn't heard this yet, is that there's a real fear, right? They, for the amount of money that exists around PGA Tour golf, for him to make that statement like, we cannot compete with uh, a group that just prints their own money and throws it around uh, like this. And that's astonishing. Um, I have not consumed the live tour yet. Has any of you consumed it? I, it's very been very difficult. I watched right? a little bit of the first event just because I was curious. Uh, I had to do a search to find it. I ended up going to their YouTube page. It wasn't a lot of people watching, maybe 60,000, 70,000 people, but. Uh, you know, it's clunky. The team concept, uh, the logos, it's, it's weird. The the shotgun starred and all this stuff. It's just kind of, you know, it's kind of amateur hour. It is. And uh, it will be interesting to see how it carries on if they're able just to, you know, buy their way out of all this. We'll see. Uh, the PGA Tour is on alert. But this weekend, uh, it's going to be the focal point again. The PGA Tour this weekend, the FedEx playoffs. Yeah, let's go. It's taken the PGA Tour's very best just to get to this point. Now it'll take more. Everything you've got to win the ultimate prize. The FedEx Cup playoffs begins with the FedEx St. Jude Championship Saturday, 3 Eastern on NBC and Peacock. All right, when we come back, we'll put a bow on this show. Talk a little more football on our way out. You're listening to the Rich Eisen Show. 
I'm Ryan Lee filling in for Rich. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Rich Eisen Show. Ryan Leaf here filling in for Rich Eisen alongside TJ Jefferson, yes, Michael indeed. Del Tufo, Chris Brockman. Yeah, yeah. Um, big show. We had a big show. Dave Aranda joined us to talk Baylor football. Mary Kay Cabot from the Cleveland Plain Dealer also talking about all thing Cleveland. Um, Tyler Dunn from the Go Long podcast uh, and golongtd.com joined us to talk all things NFL. Um, and, and then just we just got off the phone with Rex Hogard, who is the golfchannel.com writer about the live tour uh, and everything that went into this week's decision. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from the show today, guys? Uh, mine, was, mine was hearing some of the stuff from Ty uh, especially around the Miami Dolphins, right? I think that this is a big question. We asked Andrew Brandt yesterday around the bags of cash that these wide receivers are getting and the allocation of salary cap percentage to them. There hasn't been a definitive um, Super Bowl champion to have a wide receiver number one take up so much cap. This would be a first, at least since 2014, I believe, is when the data shows. Um, is... What Tyreek Hill got is what Miami did to further their team, to improve their team, going to be the answer uh, in the AFC East this year. Or are they just they're simply playing second fiddle to Buffalo and then fighting with New England on whether or not they're going to be a, a wild card team at the end? Man, I don't know. I'm, okay, so I'm looking at the, the SPO track right now for wide receivers, right? Average per year. How many of these teams that have these receivers have a chance to win the Super Bowl, or you would put them as favorites, right? Tyreek Hill is number one at $30 million per year. Dolphins, Super Bowl contender, yeah or nay? Nay. Oakland Raiders, Devontae Adams is second, $28 million per year. Raiders, yeah or nay? I think they have a shot this year. Arizona Cardinals, DeAndre Hopkins is at $27.25 million per year. Well, if you look at what the first half of the season looked like last year, where they were the last undefeated team, right? He's suspended for the first six games of this season. No, they're not a Super Bowl contender. All right, Cooper Cup is next at 20. 20- are we taking into consideration that the Super Bowl 
is in Arizona. Oh, you're in the last <laughs> two years. I'm, I'm big on this, Ryan. Yeah, I but they need, a, they need a quarterback to come in. I love it. Too. That's that's part of the equation. It's oh, just not okay. that. They need a quarterback to come in. Okay. Good ah. point. We didn't. We never took that into consideration. That's, right. that's, that's a variable true. in this algorithm. Variable. I told you we're not good at math around here. Yeah. Uh, fourth up is Cooper Cup, 26.7. I think we all think the Rams are Super Bowl contenders. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, fifth is uh, A.J. Brown, 25 million even per year. How about the Eagles, Super Bowl contenders? No. Not not after what I, not after I could see them get back to the playoffs, but I mean they 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 were just outclassed and outplayed in that playoff game against Tampa. Now did they learn something? Did Jalen Hurts take something from that? I don't want to just throw them out and say they're not a contender. I think pretty much any team that made the playoffs a year ago, mm-hmm. they really improved sh- their team too. Should be considered a playoff contender, right? So uh, or a Super Bowl contender. Uh, and if you think that the Cincinnati Bengals, who no one even thought of, yeah, yeah, Philly, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, yeah, I'm gonna say Philly has a has a shot. Um, they have the pedigree. They've won a championship before. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I just don't know if allocating this much money to a, a wide receiver number one now. Where does Debo Samuel now fit in? Where well, does... we're going to get to him. So okay. Stefan Diggs is next at twenty four million. Obviously, we we love the Bills around here. Yep. DK Metcalf, his new deal is next at twenty four million. I I don't think any of us think Seattle's going to going to be there this year. And then Debo Samuel at twenty three point eight five million. Do you think the Forty ers are Super Bowl contenders? Well, I think you know when we went through our little exercise yesterday around would your team be better off right now with Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. playing quarterback it wasn't we were not taking into consideration whether or not I'm, I'm, I'm like in San Francisco I think right now I think it's I think Jimmy Garoppolo gives you a better chance but people were up in arms about well you got to let the kid play so we can see I said well that's not that wasn't part of the the experiment the experiment was uh, without anything salary cap without trying to get kids experience to get better like Trevor Lawrence and Jacksonville like if you could swap Jimmy Garoppolo into a position right now anywhere else for this season, this season alone, uh, not not negating the further progress of some player and things like that. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo is a good fit in those places. I, I don't know what San Francisco is going to look like with Trey Lance. I want to believe that the decision they made to go move up so far to three, draft him, sit him last year with all the things that 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 were said about doing that, I would like to think that they're going to be a better team offensively uh, and be be more diverse, which they were pretty diverse a year ago with what they did with Debo and the different things they did in the running game, that, that I would think they would be a better team. But we just don't know that, right? We don't, we don't know. They knew that out of all the receivers that were paid this offseason, I would argue Debo Samuel was the most understanding of that being done because of what he offers the San Francisco 49ers, and what he showcased last year. I mean, going off what A.J. Brown did a year ago to grab that kind of bag, wow, well done. Mm-hmm. We know what Tyreek Hill can do, clearly. We've watched it play out in real time. You go and pay the guy $30 million a year, you better, that dude better ball out. Like, I mean, he may walk back to the locker room afterwards like, I got that bag. <laughs> right. You know, I'm doing what I what I can do. You know, I don't know if it's, you know, I don't have the same quarterback that I had in, in in Kansas City, and that's a choice I made. That was a sacrifice I made to get the money that I needed to get, right? We'll see. We'll see if that's the case. Uh, I think this is going to be an incredible, incredible season for us to decipher whether or not the likes of the Green Bay Packers, 
the likes of the Kansas City Chiefs, who said we and the Tennessee Titans, we are not going to uh, die on this hill. We're going to let the wide receiver position go and supplant it um, with the draft. Sky Moore in Kansas City, Traylon Burks in Tennessee, and Christian Watson, and now we're seeing Romeo Dubs uh, or um, um, be the guys that are going to have to make a difference. So, I mean, we're going to learn a lot this year in terms of where it goes with the salary cap allocation because I haven't seen it pay off in a Super Bowl, Super Bowl champion. Maybe it does this year. Maybe that will be the new way, the new marketplace for this progressing game in the NFL where they throw the ball and throw the ball and throw the ball. Little news out of Tampa Bay, as we saw Russell Gage, right? Um, came up lame. Um, and uh, we'll find out more about that. But also another setback on the offensive line right in front of Tom Brady, another center, uh, Robert Hansley, um, or Hainsley goes down, right? Second-year player who recently replaced center Ryan Jensen was carted off the field. Todd Bowles said he doesn't have an update. Yeah, so we'll I, do have an up, soon. I do have an update. All right, that's, that's why we got you around here. So that was early this morning. Uh, a little bit uh, more recently, uh, just it was a bad cramp situation, not oh, a leg injury. So deal, dealing with the heat down in South Florida, uh, Robert Hainsey just dealing with cramps, thankfully. Thankfully, everybody's got to be so thankful for that, right? Because yeah. where do they where do they go if they're their backups know. out? Yeah, you know? that, that would have been really bad news uh, for Tom Brady and company. Tom Brady mm-hmm. does an exceptional job of getting the ball out. Uh, it's, he he figured that out along the way and understands it. I mean, we were talking about it yesterday. He watching the uh, the Tuck Rule, uh, the Snow Game, whatever you want to call it, on on ESPN Plus the other day. I um, uh, to hear Tom Brady talk about how I just held on to the ball too long. I, I mean, just, I mean, just, you know, you, you can't do that. You can't put your offensive line in that position. You got to get rid of the football and he does a really good job of that. So if there's anybody that can mask um, a depletion in offensive line, it, it's, it's Tom Brady because he just knows where the ball is going to go. Peyton Manning was just as good at that too. I mean, the guy knew where to get rid of the ball. If there was any sort of pressure or anything that will make it better for him to get the ball out of his hand, the faster he got it out, the better he was, uh, for the team later down the line. So those were a couple injuries that we heard about. Um, um, the Lamar Jackson conversation will keep on going, right? Where does he land in terms of a contract? He can't honestly uh, play on this year's contract. Maybe he can, right? 20 plus million dollars, much more than he's made up to this point in his career as a quarterback. Uh, and maybe he bets on himself that he goes out and um, plays plays great and sets himself up for a huge extension or puts him in a position for the Ravens over the next two years to 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 have him um, in the in the way that he plays for two years on a franchise tag right and now don't get me wrong the franchise tag is going to be extensive right what's what's the average next year of the the top five NFL quarterbacks it's going to probably be near the mid 40s low 40s maybe uh, yeah I would say high 30s most likely all right all right, so two seasons at maybe thirty-eight and thirty-nine million dollars. If you were to, to, I mean, if you're the Ravens and you're looking at a cap issue, right, paying him twenty plus some this year, and then maybe two years of franchise tagging, thirty-eight, thirty-nine, uh, and you say you you say you could have 
Lamar Jackson, former MVP, three years, uh, out on a, on an average of around you know thirty million dollars. That that may you know thirty two million dollars. That maybe look like a win for them in their books, right? I wouldn't do that if I was Lamar. Well, I don't think he, you know what I mean. I don't know if he has a choice in the matter, right? Maybe the offer because it hasn't gone out isn't what Lamar wants, and he's willing to go play through this process. I, I I'm with you, like Kirk Cousins style, just. Just well, we've seen Dak Prescott it? do it. We saw Russell Wilson do it once. And we've seen Chris Cousins do it. And it's yeah. all worked out for those guys. Yeah, Definitely worked out for Cousins. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But tomorrow, uh, when we get back, we'll have a great show once again for you. Um, we'll dive more into the NFL um, and another division. Uh, it's been a great being with you today. Uh, everybody out there on the radio and Westwood One. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow here on the Rich Eisen Show.